Hey guys, you're listening to the Turning Point Podcast, where we talk about life lessons and how turning points can shape our journey. Just a quick few reminders before we kick off the episode today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and share that iTunes link, that Google Play link, that Spotify link with a friend, with a neighbor, with a colleague, with a stranger, with whoever it is that you think would like it. Go ahead and share that link. Also, remember to go to turningpointpodcast.com for some free resources, show notes, whatever it is that I I post there for you guys for that episode. And you can also go to patreon.com slash turningpointpodcast to get some exclusive material just for those that decide to join Patreon. Also, remember to leave a rating if you are loving the episode or if you loved an older episode, whatever it is, if you're loving the content, go ahead and leave a rating. In today's episode, we have an individual that decided to leave that nine to five and created his own business by investing money on rental properties. That is correct. My guest today is Lane Kawaoka, who currently owns 2,600 units and where he is responsible for finding investment opportunities, analysis, and marketing. Lane obtained a BS in industrial engineering and an MS in civil engineering and construction management from the University of Washington, working as a high-paid professional in corporate America. And frustrated by the traditional wealth-building dogma, Lane was compelled to inspire and mentor other working professionals via his top-rated podcast at simplepassivecashflow.com. So stick around to learn more about his story and how he went from being a civil engineer to actually creating his own business and investing in rental properties. This is episode 11 from Civil Engineer to Investor. So Lane, thank you so much for being here today with me in the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So I like to I like to really kick off the the episode with learning a little bit about the guest's journey and understanding, you know, how did they get to this? What was like a turning point in their life that got them to actually this spot in their lives? And um, I know that you're currently in the finance industry, in the investment industry. um, But how did you get to doing that? Because I I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that wasn't your nine to five. Yeah, I I graduated college about 10, 12 years ago. I can't remember. (laughs) um, I went to engineering school. I went to University of Washington up in Seattle. And I was just an average guy who um, followed that linear path of go to school, get a good job. Um, so that's what I did. I, you know, go buy a house to go live in, which I don't really believe in these days. Um, I think you should invest, but I bought that first primary residence to live in. And then I never was never home cause I worked on the road all the time. So I just started to rent it out. Um, it was like a $350,000 house, nothing special. Um, was in a good area, so I started renting it out for twenty two hundred, and the mortgage was uh, twenty two or sixteen hundred a month. So for a young twenty year old kid, that was a lot of beer money at the time. Yep. So I was like, shoot, I gotta keep doing this again and again because I didn't really like my job. So I was like, I gotta get out of this thing. I gotta, you know, this was kind of my ticket out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. So and then from that point, where did you then start simple passive cash flow? Like, when did that time actually started? Like, okay, I can actually make a business out of this. Let me get a name, get a business model. How did that come about? Yeah, so it didn't come actually for like six or seven years later. Um, oh, wow. And I just, I was just kind of 
you know, just like any other investor, just trying to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to a bunch of podcasts, read a bunch of books, um, bought 10 more rental properties. And then, you know, at the time, all my, my friends were like, you know, they, they hear of all my stories, how I'm buying all these properties sight unseen. I never visit them um, halfway across the country. And they ask me all these questions all the time. But, you know, it's real estate. So, like, you know, like just like any sales business, right? Like, very little people actually take action, right? And, That's you know, right. what does a millennial do but make a podcast and a blog, right? Because, you know, all his <laughs> friends are wasting his time asking about the same stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, go and, go and subscribe to the podcast and, like, everything's there. Like, like, my first 20 podcasts are all about how to buy remote rental properties, you know, out of state. So that's what I refer a lot of people to. Um, so that was kind of the start of it. You know, it's just, I, I always like personal finance blogs. I, I read them all the time when I was in college and it really helped me out. And so I just kind of wanted to make the same thing and kind of follow my journey. Yeah. And that's great. Like, for example, for me, like I couldn't even begin to start investing where I live. Like I'm in the New Jersey, New York area. Like, you know, that's a little bit more expensive. So considering remote locations that I can invest and then maybe just manage it. And, and I'll get to that question because I do actually have it here for you. But, um, you know, being able to manage that property remotely would be best because, yeah, I make I make good money in this area, but I don't want to really invest it in this area as well because things are getting really expensive. You see a lot of New Yorkers can't really afford to live in New York. So what are they doing? They come to the New Jersey area. They come to those uh, towns that they might be like 10 miles away from the city and they can still commute and go to work and do whatever they need to do in the city, but they own the property in New Jersey. So at least for me, that would be a great option if I would look into invest into a property, but not necessarily in this area. Because it would be, right, it would require right. a lot of, a lot of, lot of income in order to do that. Um, so I know that that a lot of your investments are in property. Do you also, uh, you have a, a portfolio? Do you recommend to do that? Like, I guess, what are some of your rules in investing, and what are some things that you've done that have worked out that you might recommend to someone who's like just starting off, right? Especially yeah. millennials right now. I feel like a lot of the millennials are really struggling to kind of get their, their act together to start doing investing, whether it's a 401k or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing to realize is like a lot of like the 401ks, mutual funds, REITs, they're all like retail investments. And you know, it's just, there's just all these middlemen taking all these hidden fees. And that's basically what's robbing America and you know, other countries of you know, the hardworking people of their retirement. I mean, when you break down the numbers with when you own a rental property on your own, you're making money four ways with cash flow, mortgage pay down because your tenant's paying it, all these tax benefits, and then any appreciation you're getting with leverage. Um, I mean, you're making anywhere from like 20 to 40% on your money every year. I mean, compare that with the 5 to 10% in, that they say that you're going to get in the 401k or stock market. Yeah. Um, it's just numbers. Numbers speak for themselves, and, and you can probably retire in like a third or a quarter of the time if you invest in prudent investments. That unfortunately you gotta get out of your comfort zone and you know get get your hands a little dirty. Yeah, and like it's interesting because nowadays you watch the news or you watch anything that's like the majority of people are watching, right? Whatever's in CNN, whatever's in, in in any of those channels, and like all they talk about is like it's impossible for people to retire now. And at the same time, I'm like, is it really that or are we living, you know, paycheck to paycheck or are we buying things that we can't really afford that then get us in a hole? You know, some people buy a house that 
maybe is bigger than what they need. And um, and now and we're going a little off topic about investing properties, but I, I also wanted to cover that a little bit and, and see your opinion on, you know, what what do you think? Do you do you agree with that or do you think it's mostly people don't prepare early enough? So when they start hitting that retirement age, they're like, what the hell am I going to do now? Right. How am I going to live? I can't really keep working. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because like if you invest in normal traditional investments like your 401k or stock markets, yep. it's going to take you 40, 50, 60 years to retire. I mean, it's like, you know, like I said, do the math. The math, mm-hmm. the math doesn't yep. lie. Um, and I get why people don't have they're not very motivated because it's just very just it's just overwhelming. I mean, it's just like it just doesn't work. The numbers don't work. Um, so I get it why you're like, screw it. I'm just going to go buy this nice car. It makes me feel good. Yeah. Whatever. I'm never <laughs> going to retire, right? If I keep investing at 5 to eight, 10% a year. Um, but, you know, if you get out of that that paradigm and you start investing on your own, um, you, know, you, can, you can break that and you'll get extra motivated. Like when I, when I work with folks and they buy that first rental property with, you know, just a mere $30,000 down payment, know 20% leverage um, and they see that $300 of cash flow coming in every month they're like holy crap right like that that's super motivating like now I'm not gonna go blow my money on that thing I'm gonna save up so we can buy that that next yeah. rental property a lot quicker so I can get an extra $300 a month coming in do you think um, and I know this is a big part of, of you know of your business and what you've been doing um, in like what are the best i guess best practices for uh, managing properties remotely and is it a safe investment right because you might not be able to be near that property as often to kind of manage things or see that things are kind of um going as expected um especially if you have someone actually renting the property right now and then they they leave do you do you tend to invest in those properties where people stick around for long periods of time or is it more like maybe a summer rental home yeah, you know, I'm not a big fan of the short-term rentals because mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing it. A lot of unsophisticated investors are doing that. And that's, as an investor, you got to look at the competition and try and get away from that. So I go to the, like the bread and butter, we call them class B and C, workforce housing. So this is your, av- you know, your average person, you know, bell curve. This is not the person making 80 grand a year. This is the blue-collared American, you know, kind of in the middle belt of the bell curve. And you don't have to worry about finding renters because there's just so many of them, right? I mean, if you drop the rents from like 950 to 925, your Craigslist ad is just going to blow up. Uh, I think that's what some people don't realize. Um, so it's just a lot of bread, bread and butter investments um, that just have a lot of clients or tenants. Do you think, and I think this is something that a lot of people that have rental properties kind of worry um, you invest in the property, you maybe fix it up, right? So that you can get it rented out um, and get some some good return on that. Um, having the property and having to worry about it remotely, do you worry that the person that's actually renting it might not be taking care of it? And when whenever they decide to leave, maybe in like two years or whatever it is, um, you have to actually put money again in the property. Is that something that, that you see a lot? And, and how do we kind of navigate that? Yeah, I mean, well, let's let's kind of make set one thing straight. Like, I don't advocate for all this wholesaling and mm-hmm. flipping, yeah. all this no money down stuff. Um, I work with high pay professionals or business people who have money, and I'm, we're more of the passive investors, right? We don't do too much. Um, 
again, we're not getting the greatest returns, but it's five times, ten times better than what you're getting in the stock market still. So what, what we'll do a lot of time, we'll buy a property that's all ready to go. We're not really fixing it up. Okay. So at that point, it's, it's stabilized, and we use property managers, professionals, to kind of do our dirty work for us. So there's a layer in there. So we really don't never really get involved. Like, I don't know how to do an eviction. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I mean, we've had a bunch of them, but I'm not the person doing it. You know, I'm an investor. I'm not a landlord. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of to an- answer your question, um, you know, there's the contract, right? And things happen. You know, sometimes people will trash the property and, and move out. And now you've got like a $5,000 bill on your hands. But, you know, it's a business, right? And if you have 10 properties, I, in my track record, I've probably lost money on two or three of them every single year. But when you average them all, all across the board, that's where you're hitting your numbers, right? Because some of them are going to be perfect. You're going to have perfect tenants. It's just like the 80-20 rule. I yep. mean, it, it's the same thing here. I think that's what people worry about a lot, too. It's like, you know, you got to have that safety nest, right, where you can invest in the property again if it gets trashed. Um, how many properties are you managing now? Or I know you have people that actually help you with the managing, but how many properties do you actually currently have, like rental properties right now? Um, currently, we got 2,600. Wow. I, I wouldn't really have people focus in on that. I mean, it's buying that first few rentals is the mm-hmm. hardest. That first rental is the hardest. I mean, right now we do private placement syndications, so we do apartment buildings. So we're picking them up at two to three hundred units a piece. Um, but I mean, that's 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 more of an advanced technique for higher net worth individuals. But if you're kind of just starting out, just focus on getting that first single-family home rental and getting that property manager to kind of do your bidding for you. And so, how what would be like? I, I don't know if so, like someone like for example like me like I've, I own property but I don't actually own a rental property what if I wanted to get into that business like when you first started what were some things that were maybe like I don't know obstacles or you had to like learn throughout the process that you would recommend people to like maybe steer away from this or do this like what are I guess some steps some initial steps to get you starting on on this yeah I mean I think the first you know you're trying to build your team right but I don't really call them team members they're vendors um, they're employees um, the biggest one is one of the bigger one is like your broker. You mean you got to go find these properties first. Um, rule number one is never trust a broker, right? They make money when you <laughs> buy a property. Yeah, that's right. So you know you're trying to find other passive investors to get referrals, to good people to work with. But the the biggest part of your person part of your team is your property manager, right? Because they're gonna have to deal with the crap after you buy it and manage it for you. So they're they really got an unbiased opinion and they're they're really more aligned with you. Um, so again, how do you find a good property manager? Like you said, one of the things to uh, stay away from is you, you want to stay from a property manager from like a big brokerage house because typically you're finding somebody who can't sell houses. They just <laughs> stick in that role. Um, so you're trying to find a good property manager via referrals. So it all comes back to finding other passive investors to build relationships with and kind of get into the, um, into the ecosystem and then finding good people to work with. That's awesome. It's definitely a process. Like I feel like you shouldn't get into this until you do like your research and study this and maybe find other people and network with other people that have been through this before you actually get into this rental business um, because there's so many mistakes that you can make that can cost you a ton of money and then you can't really go back from that and it's going to put you back a couple of years 
by the time you decide to do this again. Um, so definitely, I think that's that's a really good advice. And you know, talking about like properties in general and not necessarily kind of stepping aside from the rental properties. I saw that in Forbes, you had a article about how to pay off your mortgage um, a little bit quicker than the usual 30 days. So for, for those folks that, you know, that bought a property now and they might be like in their early 30s and they're trying to figure out, hey, how can I pay this a little bit quicker than, than I would if I kept that 30-year uh, mortgage? Uh, how, how, what would you recommend for them to do some, some I guess, tips and tricks from, from that article that, that I had, uh, had seen? Yeah, I mean, so this is just another example of how, like, the wealthy people do things very differently than the average people, yep. right? That the 1%. system is The system is created to just keep keep people in the rat race forever. Um, your, your traditional 30-year mortgage is built off amortized debt. So in the beginning, you're making very little payments to the principal, which is, you know, the balance. Mm-hmm. And most of your payments are going to the interest. So you kind of flip the script on the banks by get, using a HELOC or some other simple debt as, a, as opposed to amortized debt, and you can pay off your debt quicker that way. Um, I've got a webinar on that, simplepassivecashflow.com. I think HELOC is the address. Um, but it's a good way for people to get started and like you know try something a little bit off the beaten path. I don't think it's the best strategy out there. I think the best is just picking up single-family home rentals one by one. Um, but it's way better than just sticking with the traditional stuff because you're, you're just going to get slaughtered like the, like the other sheeple doing that. Yeah. So do you recommend that that's probably the best investment strategy or do you also recommend, hey, you should also have invest in stocks and that 401k and maybe that high-yield savings account to keep that, you know, that safety net? Like, or do you recommend that maybe properties like the, the wisest choice? Like... It all depends on the people's pockets, right? Um, but what do you, I guess, suggest in that regard? Well, I mean, it, it's all with numbers, right? Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're investing in rental properties, you're probably making like 30 to 40% a year. Yep. When you're using that strategy that we're talking about, the payoff debt, you're probably making like 5 to 15% a year. Um, you're just basically paying down debt. So it comes down to a ROI percentage. Um, and both of those are higher than what you're usually getting in the stock market or mutual funds and that kind of stuff. So you know, it's simple math. I'm just going to compare. But as you get some rental properties, it's a little bit more headache, right? You know, things can go wrong. Um, but you just got to buy more. I mean, that's all I got to say about that. You got to yeah. hit a certain critical mass. So you hit steady state. So, and with you with this business, did, did you keep your nine to five or are you actually managing both? Because it seems, seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually just quit my job a couple months ago because. Oh, wow, congrats. Up, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but up, up to then, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's passive investing, you know, we're not going out sending these crazy yellow letters trying to swindle people for distressed properties. You know, it's passive, right? And the whole point, a lot of people that I work with are doctors, lawyers, engineers. You know, they make a lot of money and they use it for just for simple down payments on more assets, right? It's a very simple game. Um, yeah, you can probably take on a little bit more risk, get a little bit more distressed properties, get more value. But I think what I found is a good minimum effective dose. At, at least it's a good starting point for if you want to kind of do, um, bring in more advanced techniques. Cool. Like, And so when you started off... Um 
kind of going back to the beginning of your journey, when you start off, you never really saw this as like, I'm going to do my career path is going to be this. Like you had gone to school. So you really thought that you were going to kind of stick with what you went to school for to become an engineer. Right. But this happened to be like you really I feel like you're passionate about this, too. And I feel like maybe that's why you were more a little bit more inclined to go on this side of the business and kind of keeping your, your nine to five. Yeah. I mean, other than like making a podcast and doing a blog, I mean, I'm still a passive investor that doesn't take up more than a couple hours a week. I mean, if, if it's taking more than that, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but I mean, so what do you think about passive income don't you think at the beginning because the times that I do talk with like influencers and creatives and some people that actually are trying to set up passive income a lot of them are like you need to at the beginning put in a lot of time and as time goes by you may put a little bit less do you, do you agree with that statement yeah I mean well whether it's time and and um, effort is sort of interchangeable so in this case we're taking to buy like a hundred thousand dollar rental property, you need thirty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars of capital. That is in essence time, right? Because you worked at a day job, you save X amount of months to save that, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like whatever you call it, kinetic or potential energy. That's what it is. Um, I think one of the fallacies I, I hear a lot about that kind of annoys me is like you know people talk about passive income. It's always like that. Hey man, you want some passive income? You know. <laughs> you know, buy this telecom services, right? Like, that's not what this is. This is go to your job, save up capital so you can use prudent leverage to go buy other, you know, you're using government subsidized loans to buy these rental properties. Yeah, and, and it, I, had, I had an episode about it too because I feel like there's a lot of people confuse side hustle with passive income and a lot of people sell you on this passive income dream and it sounds like just they're selling you on something right it, it sounds like a scam and a lot of people then don't go and take that step forward into doing anything passive income because they're scared that it sounds like a scam and then they kind of close that that option for themselves yeah it ruins it for the rest of us you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean but like you know what i do i tell people a lot a lot like look what i do is like real estate investing to invest you need money if you don't have any money sorry i can't help you you got a money problem, so you got to go make money somehow. You know, nobody got, you know, you got to pay to play. Yeah. Yeah, you can't but really that, start in this game without that. Like, right. you better start a side hustle and kind of get that money and then maybe go into that. But you have to really have that capital to start off. Right, right. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing, too, because it's the barrier to entry. Because not a lot of people own rental properties because they can't even save 30 grand. Yeah. And not a lot of people invest outside of their primary market to like a place like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, because they're scared, right? That's inherently why it's good for us who do that, because there's less competition. Yeah, and I think so. Where where are you located right now? Because so so you're because you're investing more in those areas, but but where are you located essentially? Yeah, I mean, I used to live in Seattle, but now I live in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, nice. Um, so I I've subscribed to the thinking where invest where the numbers make sense, but live where you want. Like, exactly. Like, you know, you're in, you're up there in New York, New Jersey, you know, that's an example of a primary market. So we don't invest in primary markets like, like New York, Boston, um, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco. A lot of these places are very affluent areas, high demand. Um, you're just not going to have the rent to value ratios necessary to be able to cash flow. So we invest off cash flow. So we look at the rental value ratios. Um, and I can kind of talk about that a little bit. You know, I mean, so you, 
to find the rent to value ratio on a property, you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price. So for example, a $100,000 property that rents for $1,000 is 1%. So a lot of the places like in Seattle, I mean, good luck if you can even find a place that's 400 grand. Um, it won't, it, it will rent for like $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So that's half a percent. No bueno. It's not going to cash flow. It does not going to work. You need to find something that's 1% or higher. That's awesome. Yeah, no. And here, and, and not talking about like rental properties, at least here I'm seeing that again, because people are trying to come from New York to New Jersey and now a lot of people are trying to flip homes. Right. But then they're flipping homes in areas where like no one wants to buy them. It's like in the middle of this busy road. There's like there's not near like a downtown area. I'm like, sometimes I think like, how did they think that they're going to sell this? And you keep driving through that area. It's like six, seven months and that house still has not sold. So yeah. it's, it's interesting because that's also really important. Where are you getting that rental property? Is this like the suburb area where people really want to live there? Like a lot of people have kids. Is it in your, uh, a good school system? Like I feel like those things actually come into play as well when either you're flipping a home or you're actually a rental property. Yeah. But well, I mean, flipping, I don't really do flipping. I mean, th- then that kind of comes into play. Mm-hmm. But everybody needs a place to live. In this country, we have a deficit in housing, right? Yeah. No. I mean, you're on the good side if you're a rental property owner. I mean, whether you're in a good area, bad area. I mean, look, we don't buy properties, rental properties in the best school districts. It's too expensive. It doesn't cash flow. You know, we look for more of that B or C class location. It's not the place I would live, but it's pretty good returns. right? And But again, it's not like a war zone area where you need a gun to go collect your rent. Yeah. But your property manager does. right? So there's kind of a sweet spot that we look for. Um, you know, usually blue collar, white collar mix, uh, mostly blue collar are kind of the locations that we buy these class B and C rental properties at. And with those properties, do you see like a lot of, do you, because um, I'm assuming that you have you have the lease and probably for like a year. So do families tend to stay or is it more like every year you have to constantly get a new family to move in? Usually, they, usually they'll stay every like, you know, average will stay like two to three years. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, unfortunately for these people, like they're economically immobile. They're never going to be able to buy a house. You know, the, yeah. their their monthly salaries are, you know, their household income is maybe like forty grand to sixty grand. They barely can save a few thousand dollars a year, if that. They're they're going to be tenants forever. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, you don't want to be a slumlord, so you you know you, you fix the property up for them. You you go, give them good quality, reliable housing, and everybody sings in kumbaya. And you know, hopefully, <laughs> they don't trash your place, right? And they stick around too, so they don't have to yeah. like yeah. worry about and getting everybody's new people. Ha- everybody's happy, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So I kind of like to ask people towards kind of like the end of an interview. Um, what are some books that you read that kind of like changed your life? or in your case, any networking events, or I guess anything that really helped you when you were starting out, right? Like, where did you really get all that knowledge or kind of, uh, you know, change your mindset as something that, that you were part of? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big books guy. I, I'm more, I tell my guys, just go out and make a spreadsheet and just analyze a lot of properties, right? I mean, for books, I have a like four books list on my website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash books. If you want, like, there's like four books on there, like Millionaire, awesome. Real Estate Investor. But really, don't, I tell people to stop reading books, right? Like, stop wasting your time. 70% of it is doing it. 
between yeah. 10% is the academic side, just you know, in anything, whether it's real estate investing or business. Um, so so that, that's what I would say. I mean, but for me, the thing that kind of took me to the next level to go from 10 units to like 2,000 mm-hmm. those last few years is getting around the right people. Um, you know, like, like for me, the local real estate clubs were not the place to go because it's just a bunch of broke people. Right. That's the people who go to real estate clubs. They're trying um, to figure it out. Right. They need money. Right. <laughs> they're trying to figure out this real estate <laughs> investing thing that you need money and they're trying to find money. Right. <laughs> Those aren't the people I'm trying to look for. Passive investors or, you know, I was trying to find other doctors, lawyers, engineers, dentists, accountants that were 10, 20 years ahead of where I was. And I try to find, you know, getting close quarters with them. And at that point, I found I got unlocked all these other strategies or these paradigms that I'm like, man, this is just messed up. What, like, what the average people do, you know, like they're just hurting themselves. Yeah, no, that's right. That's what I've seen. At least like everyone in Instagram, like sponsored um, ads is like, join this if you want to learn how to flip houses or learn that, like join this if you want to learn how to like have your own rental homes and, and you know, start making some money with that. And I'm like, you can't really trust that. You don't even know who this person is, if they really have a reputation, if they really built an actual business. Like, you have to do your research. You can't just give your money and your time to those clubs. But that's what a lot of people do, which is join the first thing because they're kind of desperate and they kind of want to make that money right now instead of investing a little bit of more time educating yourself before you get into this business. Right, right. Like, I I actually got interviewed to be on, like, one of those, those like, HGTV shows. Oh, yeah. But then they like they learned like what I did and they was like, man, this is boring. You know, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, we're not like flipping houses, you know, I'm just buying a property. And then we put a tent in there and we just do nothing. And then we save up more money and we do it again. Like, it's probably the most boringest thing. But, you know, it's like not a get rich quick thing. It's like more of a get rich surely thing. Yeah, but, but I think it's still fun, right? Because at some point, you do have to put something in the house, right? You do have to do some sort of remodeling. But yeah, it's not like literally like, I, like flipping I a house. I don't do any of that. We just buy it already ready to go. So you buy a turnkey. Like, so you do yeah. literally do nothing. Okay. Yeah, we don't do anything, right? That's hard work. Like for a lot of like folks, it makes more sense to spend that life energy with your kids or go at your job where you're making a hundred, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year to bust your butt at that mm-hmm. than to figure out which what kind of countertops you're gonna put in. Yeah. You know? Right, that makes sense. Right. You're, everyone's trying to find their highest and best use. And for the, a lot of people in my tribe, it's go back sorry buddy, you may not like your job, but just go back and work a few more hours and you're you know you're making two hundred six hundred bucks an hour. Just do that, you know. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But but uh, whether you're a you know entrepreneur or like a high paid doctor, I think the end game is real estate, right? Because it's super easy to run if you're doing it the right way, and it's passive. It's a hard asset. Um, yeah, it's very stable. That's awesome. So one more thing: where can people learn more about you? Social media, your website, courses. Uh, this is the time. Yeah, I mean. I got simplepassivecashflow.com is the website. Um, check me out on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, you just search Simple Passive Cashflow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say if you're interested in getting a remote property, the first 20 podcasts, somehow, I don't know how I did that, but it became a pretty good precursor. And I've kind of forgotten a lot of that stuff. It was like three years ago. 
but yeah, I would check that out. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that is a wrap for episode 11. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. It's a little bit different to my typical podcast episode where I'm talking to creatives and influencers and entrepreneurs and talking to someone who had the nine to five and then saw some potential on investing in rental properties, decided to leave that nine to five and focus on that. So I, I really like to give different turning points, different perspectives to all the different kinds of listeners that I have in the podcast. And if this is you, then you can definitely learn from Lane's story. Again, don't forget to leave a rating in iTunes or a review, anything that you can to keep supporting the podcast it would be great. And for now, peace out. See you next time.